1: The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. Artificial intelligence or AI is infiltrating virtually all aspects of society. We interact with AI daily when we use our smartphones, make purchases, apply for jobs, and even drive our cars. As useful as AI-enabled systems can be, They can also cause great harm to individuals and society as a whole. When businesses and the government fail to use AI ethically and responsibly, societal harms like discrimination and bias can be amplified exponentially. On tonight's show, we're going to discuss the exploding use of artificial intelligence and the need for ethical and responsible development and implementation of AI. Joining us for this discussion is our distinguished colleague, Kevin Lee. Professor Lee is the Intel Social Justice and Racial Equity Professor of Law here at NCCU School of Law. Professor Lee has been teaching and researching and writing on topics related to the intersection of law and technology, including artificial intelligence for many years. He was the founding chair of the North Carolina Bar Association's Future of Law Committee, and in 2017, he was recognized by Fast Case as one of, as one of the top 50 innovators. In addition to his law degree, Professor Lee holds advanced degrees in social and political ethics from the Divinity School of the University of Chicago and Colgate University in philosophy and religion. Professor Lee, thank you so much for joining us this evening.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, It's an honor to be here with you.
1: So we're gonna start by asking you to share with us how you became interested in law and technology generally and artificial intelligence specifically.
2: That's a great um, great question. Um, You know, my background, uh, I have uh, been really fascinated by studying human beings frankly, over over my career. So when you know when I was in uh, younger and I, I uh, at Colgate mentioned Colgate, I, I actually studied uh, Jodo Shinshu Buddhism, and I'm half Asian, and uh, my I was raised in a sort of mixture of Catholicism and Buddhism. So I've kind of had <laughs> to have this kind of odd background, but I've always been interested in the sort of diversity and uniqueness of human beings. And I I carried that with me into uh, teaching law, and I've been teaching jurisprudence for a number of years. And uh, I was at a conference a a few years ago uh, that we were hosting, Um, and um, one of the speakers there was doing predictive, it was a a company that was doing predictive analytics, uh, very, you know, cutting edge uh, from Stanford, you know, very cutting edge stuff. And I listened to them talk and I saw the reaction of the other people in the room and many of whom were general counsel. And I realized that the game had changed. And so I started looking at it and trying to understand the implications of predictive analytics, first of all, the ability to predict the outcome of a lawsuit, right? To predict how a judge is gonna rule on a particular motion um, and very granularly, like you know, does it change when you change the lawyers? Uh, this kind of things I, I realized would would have a tremendous impact on the commercial um, sort of landscape of the profession. Um, but it also was very interesting to me because I began to read in the field and quickly realized that the uh, the changes that are occurring go very deep into um, our own self understanding and so it connects with the, the work I'd been doing earlier. Um, you know, one of the, it's not been around that long ago. Uh, Alan Turing had two great ideas. You know, Alan Turing, who's now on the 50 pound note in England, you know, he had two great ideas. One of them was that uh, computation is a is a, a sort of natural phenomenon, and it, it has a mathematical description. And the other is he built he he realized that you could build a machine to do it. Right. So, you know, before he did that, um, even into the 1950s and 60s, you know, if you ask what a computer was, a computer was a person who did computation. Right. And it's only after that that um, you begin to see uh, machines doing it. Now, machines have displaced uh, human beings. But there's a lot at stake with that. And there's another person, you know, everyone knows or a lot of people have heard of Alan Turing because they made a movie about him, I guess. And, uh, but there's another equally important, or maybe even more important person, uh, an American named uh, Claude Shannon. And uh, Shannon was working for Bell Labs in the 19, late 40s, uh, working on the problem of how to send a signal down a longer and longer telephone line uh, and, and filter out the distortion, right? And he came up with the modern theory of information. He, the term bit. And uh, Shannon information theory is, uh, you know, extremely powerful. And it every device, every digital device that we use owes its debt to, to Shannon. Our ability to communicate with satellites now, I guess, while space probes outside the solar system, it all depended on what Shannon did. And this is in the mid, you know, 1950s. But it also kind of opened our understanding that You know, information is a natural phenomena. Computation's going on naturally all around us. Uh, And because of that, there's a revolution, like a Copernican revolution, that takes place in human self-understanding as well. We are information, whatever else we are, we are information systems. And we can be understood, life itself um, can be understood as an information process, right? Um, And then, you know, more recently, in the last what, say, 20 years, uh, as as computer um, technology has advanced and processing power is like astronomically powerful now, and boy, memory is cheap. I was really surprised to see how cheap a terabyte of memory is because I, like when I was a kid, there's actually a case I teach. Uh, from uh, the 70s that involves a, uh, a memory core that's about 750K and it's sold for over a million dollars. And now you get a terabyte for about what, 100. So uh, things have changed quite a bit, but the ability to, to, to gather and store enormous amounts of information, uh, unprecedented in, in human history, and then to have computational power that is powerful enough to actually you know understand it and make it useful that's huge and it's changing I realized that as you know about 10 years ago that I, man this is a game changer because a lot of the questions and issues that I had been issue uh, interested in suddenly became sort of empirical questions and empir- you know that could be investigated empirically so that's a long way around but that's uh, that's how I got here I do still think and I I um I I do think there's a role for the humanities and for tradition and for understanding human religiousness that needs to be respected, you know, in this field. Um, it, it, uh, just because we understand an informational nature to the person doesn't mean that any of that went away.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really um, a great uh, kind of background and, and history that brings us up to, you know, where you ended off with this point about having all of this computational power, so in terms of what the machines are able to do, and all of this data, and we have We have more data than what the human mind can possibly analyze and and use to Mm -hmm. predict. And this leads us directly into artificial intelligence. And so how would you describe artificial intelligence to a a layperson? Because we always, we hear Mm -hmm. that term. We have an idea of what we think it means. And and oftentimes we think of, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, you might think of, you know, data. (laughs) <laughs> um, or you know, if you like um, Will Smith, you might think of the iRobot movie, right? So we have all of these examples in the entertainment industry of what artificial intelligence is. Um, but but what is it really?
2: Yeah, I mean that's uh. First of all, I think it's an overused term. Uh, <laughs> we call we call everything artificial intelligence um, nowadays, and it's you know it's it's a lot of different things. Um, it's it's really. Um, gosh, an evolving concept too, um, because I think part of what, you know, uh, early on in even like the fifties, right? There were, um, there were people doing artificial intelligence, but they probably understood what they were doing quite differently from the way we understand it now. And that's in part because as the research progresses, the concepts of artificial and intelligence also change, right, and, and evolve too. So, I mean, a, a sort of traditional idea of what, what does it mean to be intelligent, right, and, and one of the old kind of saws on this is it's doing the right thing at the right time, right, and so artificial, you know, typically means uh, some kind of artifact or something that's a human creation, so a very basic definition of artificial intelligence would be some kind of human made machine that does the right thing at the right time but you know um then you can apply that to lots of things you know um ancient um calculators you know there's this ancient greek uh calculator that could show you where the planets would line up and it's probably 5000 years old that's kind of a computer um you know i i hope things like um Oh, gosh, Uh, I like to to cook. I hope my kitchen knife does the right thing at the right time. You know, otherwise I get cut fingers, right? So, you know, it's a really broad definition. But I I think um, a lot of it uh, nowadays and what's exciting really uh, that's changing things is, um, you know, machine learning and the ability of of machines to sort through that vast amount of data and make um, and understand it. Yeah, well they don't I, don't I wouldn't say they understand it. i don't think they understand anything but to to make useful tools for for humans to understand it um and that's new and it's uh not been around that long uh so and it's touching so many parts of our society now right it's it's everywhere i i, I saw a um you know a toothbrush that was an ai toothbrush i couldn't believe that it, it gathered information about how you brushed your teeth and made made uh, you know uh, uh, suggestions on how to do a better job. You know I, I guess that's a good thing <laughs> um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think artificial intelligence is a is a very big term, and that what we really want to do is is think about um, what's really causing the um, changes in society, which is really machine learning. And um, I think that's where I focus mainly. There still are other kinds of machine, uh, you know, computational processes that are very useful and contribute to artificial intelligence. Um, But um, I think the things that's really breakthrough is is in in machine learning. Mm
0: -hmm. And we're going to talk, oh, go ahead. I I was just going to ask because of this proliferation of uh, artificial uh, uh, intelligence, is there a danger of having too much uh, information and uh, intellectual capacity uh, that's uh, created by this uh, this uh, these new developments.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's you know multiple dangers, and the, part of the problem is um, you know we're, we're dealing with machines. There was a uh, a program, a machine called AlphaGo, that uh, beat the world. Go champion, and I think it was 2017. Um, Go is an amazingly complex game. Uh, my dad used to play it with me and beat me every time. <laughs> I'm familiar with losing at it, um, but, um, you know, the machine, it, it, it's been around for thousands of years, and the machine had all of the kind of recorded games programmed into it, and it it learned to um, beat the Go master because it could, Make um, the thing about Go is it's um, there's so many possible moves that you cannot like a- attack a program like that algorithmically, so you have to sort of use um, you know statistical methods and but it was such a, a good machine, a good program that it beat this guy in, uh, by really exceeding his ability to intuit how the game would develop. Right, and I remember right after that, the developer saying, you know, we, we're not now lo, no longer constrained by human intuition, which is a really uh, profound statement, right? Um, part of the problem when you're using systems like that, it, you don't know where they're gonna go because their their ability to see patterns in the data exceeds our ability to predict what patterns are gonna, <laughs> gonna see, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, think of it this way, right? Um, one of the great curses of our time right now uh, is, um, you know, we 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 started out in, in social media with these little uh, devices that would make recommendations. These are recommender systems, and uh, the the idea in it was to to see if you could recommend things to people and they would click through on them. You know, and so m- most of these early recommender systems they were just clicking through, but. The AI is smart and it evolved and it it, it understood its environment. And as any intelligent system would do, it began to try and change its environment. And it said, you know what, if we can make more predictable people, we can get more click-throughs. And it found that being really extreme actually what made you more predictable. And so you know, people will predict more predictably click on extreme things. And so we end up with the Kind of division that we're seeing in society by these extreme positions that are being funneled through social media, right? So, and no one could have predicted that that would occur, you know, before it happened. And I think it's one of the one of the features of the of the I mean, one of the difficult features is these things are evolving so quickly, uh, and with their own agenda, you know, that we that we can't quite get a handle on exactly where they're going. So that's, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of problems, and and they're deployed everywhere, in so many kinds of systems. Government is using them. Uh, a lot of administrative agencies are using AI. Corporations, obviously, are um, so, uh, and the legal system more and more. So we were. It's, um, there's a lot of challenges. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Okay, this is the uh, legal legal review, and uh, we're talking about. Uh, artificial intelligence. We have, as our guest, Professor Kevin Lee, who is the uh, Intel, Social Justice, and Racial Equity Professor at uh, North Carolina Central University School of Law, and a new colleague uh, over there. He's talking about uh, developments in this uh, area and the ethical use of this uh, technology. We're gonna take our break right now. I want you to stay with us as we continue uh, this uh, discussion. So we'll be right back.
3: North Carolina Central University School of Law was founded in 1939 to provide opportunities for African-American students to become lawyers. Embracing our heritage, the mission of NCCU Law is to provide a quality, personalized, practice-oriented, and affordable education to historically underrepresented students from diverse backgrounds to increase diversity in the legal profession. We empower our graduates to become highly competent and socially responsible lawyers and leaders committed to public service and to meeting the needs of underserved communities. NCCU Law is excited to announce the creation of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center made possible by the generous pledge of $5 million by Intel Corporation. The mission of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center is to produce technology-conscious lawyers who will use technology in alignment with the law school's mission to, one, facilitate the efficient, effective, and ethical practice of law, and two, increase the access of legal information and services to underserved communities. You can learn more about the Technology, Law, and Policy Center by visiting the NCCU Law website.
0: Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us as we continue this discussion that we're having uh, regarding artificial intelligence, have uh, as our uh, our guest our expert uh, tonight, uh, Professor uh, Kevin Lee, who is uh, the uh, Intel Social Justice and Racial Equity Professor at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and talking about uh, an area of of life that uh, we've all. Uh, Been involved in to uh, to some extent, but know very little about. Uh, So uh, Professor Lee is going to tell us why 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 we why why do we call this artificial intelligence as if that's an oxymoron? It's kind (laughs) of contradictory.
2: Yeah, that's that's um, you know it's interesting um, to me. That's a good question. Why is it artificial? Uh, it's It's actually a much more complex question than it might seem. I think that the sort of easy answer is, well, it's a machine doing it instead of a person, and that that makes it artificial. But what's really interesting about it is, um, you know what these these systems are trying to mimic human beings, right? And to some extent, then the more they're successful at mimicking us, then the more they're like us and they become more like natural things then, right? Uh, so that's a kind of interesting you know, thing. There's this idea called, um, or this, I, I would say goal, that uh, of having um, AGI or um, artificial general intelligence. And an artificial general intelligence could solve like all kinds of human problems. Uh, just like um, it'd be, uh, you know, uh, Intelligence as a service, you know you could just go on and find like the, all the storehouse of human knowledge and you could have a one system there that you could go to to tell you how to you know bake a cake or uh, draft a, a document or you know <clears throat> fix your car, right anything else that you might want to do, start a company. Um, but um, that doesn't exist yet, and uh, whether it can be achieved or not is one of those hotly debated topics. Um, I, I have ideas about why there might be limits on the ability to do that. And uh, one of the things that kind of surprised me is not everyone agrees with me yet, but <laughs> it's, it's hotly contested, you know, and they're very capacious arguments on both sides of the, of the question. So I think that's, um, but yeah, you know, um, it matters I think when we, when we think about what it's telling us about ourselves right? Because it's trying to be like, maybe, or we're trying to make it like us, whether it doesn't want to do anything because it's just a machine, but um, we, we try and make these systems reflect us. And often we don't like what we see reflected, right? Because, uh, you know, we gather data, the data contains the bias that human beings contain, and it reflects back on us. So there's been some really uh, disturbing, you know, results. Uh, I think some of the, you know, sort of more recent ones involved um, a system called GPT three, which is a natural language processing system that has, I think they say, fifty seven billion sentences that it can draw from in in making its interpretation. And when you ask it questions, you know, if you ask it, uh, well, it's been, it's been. Fixed, but initially, you could ask it like if you use the term doctor, it would always think of a male, or it would always give a a male he as a response. Uh, Nurses were always she, you know. So it's very sexist in this way. Um, It's also very racist uh, in its its way. And they they put a filter in to kind of filter out those results, and that you know helps. But it's disturbing, you know, to think that it reveals a lot about, you know, people that way, and it's also creates all sorts of dangers because often those biases are contained in ways that are very subtle. And like I say, you're dealing with a system that is capable of drawing inferences that are more subtle than a human being can. So the 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 way it can build that into uh, its programs may be very hard for us even to detect up front. Uh, so that's, a that's a, I think, where a good deal of, uh, of research and uh, activity is right now is on how to cope with the bias in these machines. And um, also, you know, they are also helping this uh, AI is also helping us understand how the mind works, right? Uh, how, the, how the brain works and how consciousness emerges and all those kinds of really interesting questions. Uh, there's a sort of cycle, you know, that the machine learning teaches us as, about how our brain works. And then that, New knowledge goes into helping build better machines. So again, this, this question of, you know, what does artificial mean in that context becomes, I think, really kind of complex. Um, it, it's interesting in that, you know, in, in classical um, philosophy there, were, uh, there was always Prometheus as a sort of model of how, you know, Prometheus brings the fire from the gods and uh, to humans and uh, kind of represents technology in that, in that regard. And uh, the gods punish Prometheus. They nail him to a, to a rock and Crow comes and picks out his liver every day. <laughs> so this is the punishment um, that, that, you know, awaits for people who, um, you know, dabble too deeply in, in uh, interfering or with nature the way it was created it's really or you could think of frankenstein you know mary shelley's frankenstein which is subtitled a modern prometheus um and we we create these machines that that are supposed to be reflections of us uh, but they end up looking like frankenstein frankenstein's monster you know <laughs> or
1: or they they wind up looking just like us right and you know um yeah. and right and so i to to just kind of flesh this out a little bit because you mentioned machine learning, which is a, a subset of artificial intelligence. Yeah. And as you were talking about AlphaGo and and how that system was able to um, get to the point where it could be to master by learning, by looking at yeah. um, the rules of the game, looking at past games that were played. And that's how so much of artificial intelligence, specifically machine learning, operates. So you have data and you're giving this data to the system and the system is either identifying patterns or if you are saying, you know, this is a cat and I'm showing you all of these different cat pictures and so now the system is able to identify what a cat is. And so when we're thinking about how kind of to your point about how these systems are reflective of society, can you talk about how it comes to, to be that the data that oftentimes is fed into these systems in order to allow them to learn, how the data can sometimes be corrupted, very often is corrupted, and then the algorithms that are being used. So there are these multiple layers that can give rise to problematic um solutions or predictions that are coming out of these artificial intelligence systems. Can you talk about all of those areas sure. of vulnerability that people are oftentimes not even aware
2: of? Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's a lot of it. I mean, uh, and these are kind of, I, I think of sort of structural or, um, implementation errors often where, uh, data can get corrupted in many different ways. Right. Uh, uh, it's one of the, I think one of the jokes is that you get the manager who tells the computer scientist, you know, here's the data, go, go do X with it. And it's like, yeah, what? you know, I've got to clean it up. I've got to structure it. And there's so many ways that that needs to, the data needs to be treated. Um, and, and yeah, there's some, some great, you know, classic cases of this, um, uh, that, that have occurred over time. And, and, um, there's also the the fact that, yes, uh, especially with um, non-machine learning algorithms, right you, the, the algorithms can be good algorithms for an intended purpose, but they end up getting applied in other ways and then in their misapplication, end up causing all sorts of bias problems. Right? those are those are definitely um, you know kinds of problems that have occurred and have made it a lot of uh, um, Um, headlines, you know? So um, one example I I think is with uh, in in, um, algorithms that screen resumes, uh, if you build the algorithm looking at the the employees that you have, they're only going to give you more employees like the ones you've hired in the past. And they can exclude all sorts of very talented people because they just simply are not in the data set that they're drawing from. And this has been, you know, I think that's getting better because it's simply, you know, people are aware of it, right? And uh, uh, so those kinds of issues are, are certainly necessary to follow up. Uh, credit rating systems are another example of this where algorithms are used. And the problem with credit rating systems is uh, there are of course all sorts of characteristics that you're not allowed to look at in, gen- in rating someone's credit like gender and race, for example. But there's also lots of proxies for gender and race in the data. And so the systems may go look at those those proxies and and build things that would actually be unlawful if they were released. And that, there's been some cases of, of that sort of thing. It's a big, uh, like that's a big uh, industry issue. And I, I just saw a conference on just that recently. Uh, and I, there, you know, I, I will say that I, I think uh, the consumer credit world is very much aware and sensitive to the need to, to fix those problems, but they also are aware that there are problems there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, algorithms, uh, I think kind of, uh, I think of Kathy O'Neill's you know work, and she had, had been an uh, uh, investment banker and realized in the crash, you know, the 2008 crash, that there were a lot of algorithms that controlled investment Instruments that were either uh, being understood poorly or not understood at all, and certainly not understood by the people who were selling them, and, you know. And so they're made, you know giving investment advice on on some very complex uh, instrument, and no one exactly knows how it operates. So you can see that that being a problem, and that caused her to leave the industry and start being a crusader in this field. Um, yeah, the machine learning ones are a little different. Um, in that, um, like I say, they you know, they say they they reflect us, they they do. Uh, and this is one of the areas where I think we really need to think about what that means. Um, what does it mean that you know we create a system? It reflects who who we are, and we don't like that. You know in, in other words, there's a gap between who we think we are and who we actually are. And the system's out there telling us that. And how do we how do we come to terms with that? Um, there are different. And this is where I, I kind of the area that I, I kind of find interesting is like who gets to decide to how we're going to you know cope with these things. Um, you know, I I'm not most of these big uh, data mining companies now are European and American. Uh, there's some in China. Uh, and they're setting the agenda for the rest of the world, and uh, you know we need to see how these um, um, issues get get played out. Um, and I think that's that's a like that's a that's where the future of um, AI ethics has to go, or you know figuring. We don't want to create a monoculture where there's one answer for for every society, and yet we need guidance for developers and. You know, every every country in the world has the same problem with social media right now. Some more than others, but it's an it's a global problem. And you know how that gets corrected may need a global solution. But there's probably going to be local variations that we, we want to keep in mind.
0: Can Can you take a, a just a minute or two and talk about you know in light of the widespread use of uh, artificial intelligence and this? rapid growth, uh, the disadvantages that uh, low-income rural populations uh, uh, experience uh, with the uh, the lack of contact or connection uh, with uh, these uh, uh, AI systems?
2: Yeah, I mean, there, it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, because uh, on the one hand, all of the benefits that can come from all the AI, if you don't have access to it, you don't have access to it. You know, quite frankly, one of the places you see this is in the legal system, quite directly. Uh, that predictive analytics software that I was talking about is available. It's expensive to use it. Um, what happens if you're on uh, a poor plaintiff? You, you don't have the same access to the prediction of what the judge is gonna do that, you know, uh, or, a wealthier client um, might have. Um, It's So like uh, one of the things uh, to talk about this uh, is uh, biometric data, with facial recognition, voice recognition. Uh, There's all all sorts of biometric data. There's a company that um, makes a product that will shoot a ultrasonic beam at your head. Apparently everyone's head uh, resonates uh, in a different frequency and so they can do biometric data, and you don't even know they're doing it because you can't hear them. Um, but um, yeah, so there's all sorts of things. But uh, facial recognition has become a big problem recently. Uh, it, it's uh, it's quite an interesting problem. the The software doesn't necessarily work well. It makes misidentifications. Uh, it it has, uh, you know, I, I can remember uh, a couple of years ago during the, the protest watching these uh, drones flying down the street and they were uh, obviously controlled by the police and they were just gathering images and doing facial recognitions of all the people who are out in the street. Um, you know, what happens is uh, imagine you're a criminal defendant, right? And there's a surveillance video of someone, you know, cr- cr- committing an offense of a robbery. and um, Someone comes to your door and says, this is you. We know it is because it it was matched by our facial recognition program. Uh, Now, um, it's not you. How are you going to prove that it's not, right? I mean, you have a company that has all the science behind it telling you that's you, right? That's you. And now we have a criminal defense lawyer who has to take that on and say, no, that's not. And how does that criminal defense lawyer know how to, t- to challenge that algorithm. Like you're gonna have to have an expert come in and that expert is gonna be expensive, right? So you can see this really in a, a very tangible way. Um, there's a, a um, I'm not gonna mention any companies, but there's there's one in particular that uh, has been the subject of a great deal of litigation and, um, and consternation because it's programmed and it, it basically, you go on and just scrape all of the pictures they can get off of social media um, to build their database. And, you know, if it's not accurate, and um, I think one of the things that you often see in criminal court is the, the defense counsel will ask, was the, was the program used correctly? And the program can still you know, be used correctly, but if the algorithms don't work, if it's, if it's biased data, if it's inaccurate, that's not the question to be asking, right? And they, they, don't, they don't yet know that, and I think that's been a, been a big problem. Uh, in North Carolina, there is no statewide policy on the use of facial recognition. It seems to be done on a precinct-by-precinct precinct basis, and so that becomes a, a, a real, a real pro- local problem. Um, and we're seeing this this kind of thing happening. there There's another problem, um, which is the other um, sort of end of the spectrum too, is that um, all that data that's out there is is viewed as being there for commercial exploitation, right? So you know you put data out there and somebody's gonna make money on it. and I, I find that to be a little bit like it was the what, 1800, and some corporations are looking at land and people and uh, the environment as just there for profit, and we're not really taking the time to stop and think, you know, that data represents real human beings who have rights and dignity and and a right to participate in the profit, maybe, that's coming from. So those are the kinds of of issues that, uh, you know, that are, I think, really simmering right now.
1: Right, and, and Kevin, as you were talking, you were hitting upon so many important issues. So this this point about the the data is being scraped and gathered for commercial exploitation that raises fourth amendment issues. So what, what happens not. when law enforcement is the, is the customer, right? And, and is going to uh, these data mining companies to get information that they're not able to get directly because of fourth amendment limitations. And then when we're thinking about the algorithms and challenging the, the predictions from the algorithms, well, if we've got proprietary um, technology who knows actually what's going on in the black boxes and and are these Mm -hmm. private companies willing to open up this information? Um, And so there are so many issues that you've touched upon that highlights the danger of the um, kind of irresponsible use of AI, but also what happens when society is not aware, particularly those people that are being harmed most by it, when when we are just not aware of all the intricacies of it and then that raises a question of well what is the government doing to make sure that that we are being protected and so we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we'd love to hear your thoughts on you know when we talk about ethical AI like what what does that mean from a practical standpoint what can we as a society do to make sure that when AI is being employed and implemented, it's being done in an ethical way, a responsible way. What can our government do to make sure that these guardrails are are put in place? So we're gonna have to take a quick break, but you're listening to The Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking this hour with one of our newest colleagues, Kevin Lee. He is the Intel Social Justice and Racial Equity Professor of Law here at NCC School of Law. And we've been talking this hour about artificial intelligence, which is being used ubiquitously throughout society. We hope you stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: Hello, my name is Brittany Burks, and I am currently a 2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. And this is your community spotlight. The North Carolina Central University School of Law offers four certificate programs. Upon completion of the specified requirements, law students may earn a certificate in Civil Rights and Constitutional Law, Dispute Resolution, Tax Law, or Justice in the Practice of Law. As a part of the Eagle Promise, NCCU School of Law offers our students four outcomes upon graduation. Completing a degree program on time, becoming socially and globally engaged, proving leadership, and graduating market-ready. More information about any legal program is at 919-530-6610. My name is Brittany Burks with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening.
1: Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson, and my co-host, Irving Joyner, and I have been talking this hour with Kevin Lee, who is a professor of law at NCCU School of Law and the Intel Social Justice and Racial Equity chaired professor. We've been talking this hour about artificial intelligence, the dangers, the need for society to understand the ins and outs and the dangers that unethical and irresponsible use (laughs) may cause. Um, Kevin, right before the break, one of the things that you mentioned was in North Carolina, there's not a statewide policy. And there are not statewide policies in many states, and we've got issues also with the federal level. And then one of the things that you mentioned about you know, solving this problem, uh, it's gonna take international involvement. Can you talk about the efforts that are going on at the, the local, state, federal, and international level to make sure that the use of AI is being done in an ethical, responsible way?
2: yeah I mean, uh, hmm. there are international frameworks for responsible development and use of of AI. There's actually quite a few of them. Um, there's a UNESCO statement. there's a g twenty statement. Um, you know it's it's uh, as as happens with international you know accords and statements like that, they they get promulgated, countries sign on to them. But the question then is what happens next, right? And I think, uh, so I think that there are some great at the international community level, there's some great guidance that's coming. And uh, how is it being adopted? That's uh, a very uneven, I would say. Uh, You know, one, one of the, actually UNESCO principles is to have a uniform policy, national policy. And so the fact that we don't have one, in North Carolina or most states uh, is already to suggest that we're out of compliance with the, the UNESCO uh, framework, which we've, the the United States has endorsed. Right, so I think part of the work that needs to be done is to call countries to the attention to the accords that they've already agreed to, and that would be that would be a great place to start. Right, um, and that's one one of the the things that I think can can happen um, over the you know this happens so quickly too. Right. In that, um, especially in terms of the way law gets generated, so there's some catching up to do. Um, the EU has been working quite a bit in this area. There's a new AI uh, ethics act that's uh, being debated in in the EU that probably come out in the next year and a half or so, which has some guidelines that on on um, you know what what constitutes ethical compliance. Um, but other countries uh, around the world take very different positions, and it's a political issue. Uh, I think on the on the one extreme you see, like China, that is tends to be very authoritarian. The state controls the AI and makes use of it as it will. Um, on the American side, the policy going back for the last couple of administrations has been to let's, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom, as they say, yeah, you know, let the market forces sort of shape our response to it. Um, but that that is getting to a point where that's not workable anymore. And uh, so one of the goals of the um, Biden administration was to create what they call a um, uh, AI uh, bill of rights. And uh, that's been working within the White House. they uh, they were making some progress, and they it seems to have slowed down some. Um, uh, there's also the Senate has some bills um, that are pending for uh, responsible ai different different authors, but they're uh, I don't even know if any of them are in committee yet <laughs> actually. so it, there, it, there's progress coming um, what it looks like is a very complex issue, though, I think, because, you know, um, Partly because we don't know what the consequences often of the regulation is going to be any more than, you know, because we don't know what the system's going to do. So we can sort of set goals. You also see among administrative agencies uh, different attempts to kind of carve up the AI ethics pie, as it were, and each each one to claim their own. So the like the, the FCC wants to have uh, some some uh, um, control over communications uh, um, um, obviously, um, this is a, a um, consumer product kind of issue, so, you know, there's that that piece of it. Um, but AI is being used by the government itself, too, and then you have the question of who's regulating the regulators, as it were. And I know at, at one point there was some talk about creating an ag- a separate agency for AI, which, uh, I, you know, I have some misgivings about um, you know, that would be the, like a super agency that would see oversee the AI that's being used in all the other agencies, <laughs> right? So that's a, that's a problem. But this is a, a real, I think, going to be a real political issue as well, uh, because, um, well, the role of the administrative state in the democracy is, has been a, a contested issue uh, between left and right for, for many years, uh, deploying AI into those an administrative agency sort of deepens that debate in some ways. So it's, yeah. um, what do we need to do? Um, you know, the, the one thing that seems to be clear to, uh, from, from the, the large corpus of data of, uh, writings in this now is that, um, being concerned with human rights is the first concern, but that's not enough, right? Because we could make, you know, Machines that carve out areas for human rights, but we really have to also think about well-being, the well-being of communities, um, because the the systems can impact the well-being of communities even while they're protecting the, you know, the the legal rights uh, of the communities. One of the great examples of this is a place that doesn't get talked about enough, I think, is uh, you know, these systems are huge energy consumers, just vast energy consumers. And so to, to go back to Professor Joyner's question earlier, you know, how how are uh Spanish people impacted by the, one of the ways is the environment, right? We're heat, heating up the planet by running natural language processing programs to do Alexa. <laughs> And who pays for that in the end is, you know, communities, often very poor communities that are living in coastlines, and especially here in North Carolina, you know. Uh, so it's kind of, I, you know, uh, a, uh, a double-edged sword again. Yeah, you know, we can benefit those communities in some ways, but at the cost of, at what cost? So uh, the environmental issues, I think, are really important to keep in the center of the ethics discussions now, uh, mm-hmm. because you know, these, they, they, uh, there's no end. To our desire to have these machines, and they consume a lot of energy, <laughs> just a lot of energy.
0: Well, you know, my my question is, is, is whether, in in reality, whether these uh, these IA, uh, AI AI systems can really be controlled. Uh, when you talk about the ethics yeah. of it, uh, who enforces it, and uh, what are the uh, oversight? Ah, uh, provisions that are presently in place, and are they sufficiently uh, capable yeah. of, uh, of 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 managing uh, this kind of kind of
2: broad gorilla, <laughs> as I you know, see it, that's out there in the uh, in the universe? Yeah, and I, I think, like I say, in the, in the, you know, one one thing I, I and I, I really should say this too: there are a lot of leading companies in this field that take social responsibility seriously, um, and. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll put in a plug for Intel. Intel is one of them. I, I think that, you know, they have a, a zero carbon footprint goal that they're trying to achieve. And I think the, that kind of social responsibility is just out, outstanding. Uh, and it, it has allowed uh, this to progress in our, in our society with some self-imposed guardrails right and so a lot of what's happened in the in the US context has been sort of self imposed by companies that realize in the long run um, making a short term profit isn't going to be uh, you know beneficial to society so um but there isn't a, a real like i say coordinated approach right now for example um new york city just recently had a bias audit requirement added to their uh, to their like city um, ordinances for AI for uh, employment, right? So, you know, it's going down to the municipal level, right? Uh, and, and it really, um, there is not a national policy yet. So we're, we're going to see that, I think, develop over the next, uh, you know, four or five years, probably. Um, but it, it, it isn't firmly in place anywhere yet. And you're seeing one-off projects like that. And um, we're learning, is is basically, and and We're learning, and the machines are learning too. Though, which (laughs) is kind of the the hard part to keep up with. So it's. um, I I think, like I say, I think the EU has done a a really. uh, Their approach to this has been uh, more progressive, uh, or more more uh, what forward-looking, and so they've been out trying to to get on top of it. We saw this, by the way, with the data privacy right and the arrival of the uh, GDPR. which caught a lot of companies, uh, American companies off guard. I know here in the triangle, it was a big scramble to get GDPR compliant, right? Um, When the AI Ethics Act uh, comes into play, it will also have some impact on some companies here and they'll need to be compliant with it in a similar way. So that, um, you know, the world nowadays is just so complexly interrelated. That those kinds of, you know, one country or one state makes a good policy and its its reach can go quite far. And, um, but there is not a national coordinated, you know, plan right now. I think that's part of what the Biden administration was trying to achieve with this uh, AI Bill of Rights uh, that, you know, we'll, we'll just... Um, I'm, I'm not going to criticize them. There's a lot going on in the world right now, but I'm, I'm hoping they're still making progress on on uh, achieving that because it's, it's something I think would be good for the for the country and ultimately for the world. It's interesting. Like one of the we do um, the there's a, a group called the um, CAIDP that does country audits and uh, scores them on how well they're complying with the, uh, the international standards. And uh, as it turns out. You know, countries like Japan and Korea have done very well uh, in building their AI policies. Um, the U.S. is, you know, in the middle of the pack somewhere. And it's kind of surprising to see some of the countries that are, have done a better job um, in complying with, the, like I say, we've signed off on the goal and we're just not implementing it.
1: And I wonder if part of that Uh, implementation stems from political will, which goes back to this whole notion of does society, kind of lay people, really understand the issues at stake here and how AI can be used in a a way that exacerbates um, issues that we currently have in this country. And uh, you mentioned Kathy O'Neill, and she's got Mm -hmm. this great book, uh, Weapons of Math, destruction, which I have always encouraged folks to read to, you know, it does open your eyes. And I know when I first read the book a couple of years ago, I was just amazed. And I, and I consider myself someone who, one, I love technology. I've been in the tech space for, for a while. Um, and as a lawyer, I kind of keep my finger on the pulse of uh, social issues. But I was surprised at what she was able to enlighten me about in terms of how data was being used and these algorithms and how if you don't, if you're not aware of it, um, you will, you know, become a casualty of it. And do you have some thoughts on what we can, um, because one of the things we we like to do, if, if we can, is to give suggestions to our listening audience about how they can become more engaged in this issue. Because data collection is not going away. The use of artificial intelligence and algorithm is not going away. And we've gotta be able to wrap our head around this issue. Do you have any suggestions on what folks can do to become more engaged?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, um, yes, I mean, one one thing is we have to decide for ourselves um, what data we wanna give away. I think that you know that's that's a pretty simple thing. I, I recently you know, it's funny. I I uh, uh, I had a Twitter account and a Facebook account, and after I, I for some reason, I, I recently started getting hacked a lot, and especially the Twitter account. I mean, there was like crazy things on there on, under my name, and I didn't really appreciate that. I, I but I stopped stopped to think about it, and I said, why am I using this? You know, am I really getting a benefit? That is worth the cost of it. And I think this mm-hmm. is something we have to ask ourselves now. Are, am I really? Do I? And, and so I, I got rid of them. I, I just, I, I, can't, I, you know, got rid of my social media because I, I think it, it tends towards exploiting people and it, it is trying to manipulate me. And when you realize that you're, you're being manipulated by this, uh, you know, this system, um, is it really worth it, right? Uh, so I think that's something we all need to to do. We have to be responsible for ourselves and for our data. Uh, most of the data isn't gathered uh, in, by government or something. It's, it's data we give away. And, uh, you know, those uh, those end-user agreements, I challenge everyone, read them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that you are signing away things, that you have no idea what you're signing away. And, you know, it. it it's amazing. Uh, I think we could do a, a lot. If collectively or you know individually we started saying no, <laughs> you know we don't have to participate in these things, and uh, for a lot of people uh, it's just not worth the, you know the the hassle, and and you know you make judgments, maybe some are better than others, and. Um, but that's something we definitely we can turn off the location notification on our phones right you know here here's something that it's uh, been recently you know i've been thinking about because i i'm finding it i have to drive new ways to get to work now and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know I, I i can't do it without looking at my phone and i'm thinking you know that's not that's not good for my 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 aging brain you know i i should be challenging my brain to memorize things and and to use it more and and also, I think um, the social connections, uh, the, we yeah. have this, this idea that, that we are disembodied, and I, I hate this, you know, Zoom is, a, uh, we're all addict to, addicted to now these virtual meetings, but there's nothing, there's something very different about that than actually sitting down with somebody and having a conversation, partly because you can turn them off when you're done with them. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, having those conversations Um, I grew up in a a kind of small town, and I remember after church on Sunday, people would go down to the diner and everyone would have pie and talk about things, about what was going on in the town and about politics. We need to get back to that, right? I mean, the, the kinds of debates that happen in social media wouldn't happen in that environment, right? And I think there's actually a great hunger in our country to get back to places where we can sit down and have conversations face to face, we are we are creatures with bodies, and those bodies matter to how we perceive the world, how we perceive each other, um, you know. And I, I think that that's that's something we need to do. Um, we also have to be careful with these uh, deploying systems as a society to make sure that those systems don't tear down the existing for social infrastructure, right? I worry, I worry about this a lot. You know, the, um, the clubs, the used to be bowling, right? (laughs) Those kind of bowling clubs and, but all of the, the churches, um, where people come together, identities are formed in those organizations. They're precious. And we have to make sure that as, as our, and they're always under attack, but the, the, the technology can, can lead to an attack on those crucial organizations for formation of identities. It's so essential. So, I mean, um, those are things I think we can do, like, you know, take, go out, turn, turn it off, go talk to your friends, (laughs) (laughs) go out and be with them. Uh, The other, the other parts, um, be, be aware, stay aware of what's going on. I I think, um, there's a, 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 Growing movement that is trying to keep track of the kinds of abuses that are going on, and there's different ways to plug into that, um, even even in the mainstream media now, right, is beginning to to um, to be kind of more concerned about looking at these things. So, um, and vote for goodness sakes, uh, express your your concerns politically every way you can. Uh, <laughs> You know because that's that's you know one of the the interesting things is um, a lot of these policy organizations, uh, the ones that I mentioned that are trying to develop policies, will have calls for public input and they don't get any, right which is is wrong. They, they, people should go, you know, I always like that Norman Rockwell picture of the guy standing up at the town hall meeting and talking that's so much a part of America, and we're losing.
1: Well, that was great advice on multiple levels, and we are going to end it here, but we are out of time. Um, Thank you so much, Professor Lee. Thank you for joining our wonderful NCCU Law community. He is the Intel Social Justice and Racial Equity Professor of Law here at the wonderful NCCU School of Law. And of course, we'd like to thank you for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you missed this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.